Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 611. What can you eat during a hunger strike? Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going well. Had a good weekend. What, yeah. what involves a good weekend? Um, I, I mean, I didn't do, I did some work. For, for Saturday, I went out to watch the football. So, you know, I did have that on Saturday, but that was good. it was good fun. Yeah, actually, I got to go to the interactive Vincent Van Gogh experience oh, nice. this weekend. How was that? It was okay. I, I don't think it was probably the best one put on. Like, I'm sure the ones that are in New York City and Philadelphia and LA, like the major cities are a little better. I don't think they bring the full interactive experience to Tucson, Arizona. But it was it was neat. It was, I think... It's a good way to get the current generation into like tricking them into an hour and a half of learning about art or a specific artist. Whereas nowadays, I think it'd be a real struggle to bring someone through a museum for two hours. But it, like it, it was two hours and it went, it flew by. You know, like, do, you mean, do you mean it would be hard to take you to a museum for two hours? No, actually, I, I rather enjoy museums. I, I've been to a bunch. I've been like when I lived in Paris, we used to go all the time. But I think like like younger generations, I think have almost no appreciation for going to a museum. That feels like a real old man take. I don't think it is because I'm the oldest of 23 cousins and almost none of my younger cousins ever have gone to any type of museum. I mean, it's a pretty small sample size and it is one effectively contained family family unit so family <laughs> well no i'm not saying that but i'm saying like if your parents for example didn't go like do your aunts and uncles go to museums yes consistently yeah I mean, what does when it... they travel they do okay but see i think that's already a different type of person which i would fun i would put myself firmly in the class of i go to i travel and i'll go to a museum i don't go to a museum in my surrounding area on a consistent basis. So, you know, that already puts you, those are two but different. Have you been places. to all the museums in Paris? All, I mean, all of them? No, the vast majority of them. Certainly the kind of like famous noticeable sort of ones you'd expect to go to, yes. But okay. I mean, I've been here for long enough that that's not exactly impressive to say. <laughs> but I can't remember the last time I went to a museum in Paris before the pandemic well maybe it's a boomer statement but i think just in general i think it's it's a it's a it's a good idea for a way to interact with people with more you know hands-on things and more visual stuff where it's not just the painting you know there's different aspects there was like a virtual reality headset a vr headset you put in and do the experience and then there was the room you sit in where it's all around you they're projecting like it's it's like a projection show of his art and his quotes and everything like that. It was cool. And it's like two hours went by pretty quickly. Like there was never a point where I kind of was like, all right, is this, are we done with this yet? You know, like it went pretty quickly and also helped that it was free food and drink. 
So okay. uh, that, that was nice. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not an art museum person, really, at the best of times. So already, I mean, that would be a tough sell for me. Because, yeah, it's not my, I don't really appreciate art in that way. Like, it feels disingenuous for, of me to go and stare at art in a museum and just think, and what, I mean, what's my takeaway? Wow, that's either that looks good or that must have been hard to do. I couldn't do that. Those are basically <laughs> the two conclusions that I can come to in an art museum. And, you know, I, I don't know. It feels when I go to an art museum, that feels like me pretending, oh, this is I feel like this is something that someone should do. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe this will give you a little different perspective. No, I don't think so. I think it would be exactly the same perspective. <laughs> I'd rather read a book about Van Gogh. That would be, I mean, he doesn't particularly interest me as an individual. He would fall into my historical figures we learn far too much about category. But, you know, but other well, artists. He only lived to 39, I think. Yeah. Didn't even make 40. Brutal, brutal death. <laughs> Did they did they recreate that in virtual reality? Did you, did you I hope the, not. <laughs> you get the death. If they scenes. did, maybe I fucking passed out because I have no pleasure in watching someone try and shoot their heart and miss and shoot their abdomen and die two days later. That is rough. <laughs> well, how do we transition away from that? <laughs> oh, I got one. Let's go. Let's go with marriage. <laughs> Speaking of heart, <laughs> we've. You know, now every week now we discuss a new type of marriage proposal we're seeing, which is now definitely popping up on our Instagrams. And I sent you this one, I think the other day, of a uh, football supporter who ran out onto the field. And then when he was getting approached by the security, fell down and faked like a horrific knee injury, only to give him some space. And then for them to somehow call his wife down, or I guess his girlfriend at the time down to like help him because he was in such pain and then he popped out a ring and proposed to her on the field i gotta give that one an a for effort it it's definitely above and beyond the the in like within stadium at your seat proposal yeah no it's an improvement but it's still stupid i mean like <laughs> if one of my friends did that i would still think it was kind of idiotic even if Yes, that's more creative than just having it appear on a big screen or just doing it in the stands. Like, this is, I still think you could have done something a bit classier. Like, there's, there's, it's just, it's just hard for me to believe that that means so much to her that that's the perfect place to do oh, it. Oh, because women can't like sports, Eddie? They can do, but it is probably less likely that they have such a strong emotional attachment to a to a football team, like statistically speaking, you know. But I just think th there are not many people in the world who do ha who have such an emotional attachment to their sort of favorite sports team that that would become the the sort of appropriate place to get engaged. I mean, that's. I say this as a huge sports fan. I would never want someone to propose to me at a sporting event. What about having the marriage at the sporting event? You rent it at like an empty day at, and at you the venue like on the pitch. <laughs> not, at yeah. the, not at the sporting. That would be 
depending on the venue, the type of venue, that could be okay. I mean, if you know, they have obviously all of the facilities. So that, but that bit doesn't. I wouldn't want to do that if I were like a big fan. So if I lived in Barcelona, and it turned out that doing it at the Camp Nou, you could do, have a really cool wedding. That to me is interesting. But if you then threw into the mix that I was a diehard Barcelona supporter, then that seems kind of pathetic. As weird as that sounds. Like, and that to me would be the issue. So I would happily have it at a sporting event where I didn't really have a sort of strong association with. So not Ewood? No. No, zero percent chance that Ewood Park will be the site of my the location for my wedding. What about a race course? Would you ever have a wedding at a race course? <laughs> I actually would. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't. Again, it's it because the benefit of a race course, right, is they're sort of designed to be a bit classier too. Like that's the 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 venue well, is certain race courses. <laughs> But they're, yeah, but they're kind of, it's fitting for that kind of event versus most venues for professional sports are not exactly associated with class. So, you know, that's, they don't seem very wedding-like. So yeah, race course would be okay. I mean, keep in mind, Royal Ascot, I think, still has a trough in the men's bathroom. So I don't know how much class you put to yeah, that. That's just, that's, <laughs> that's just UK style. You're going to get troughs in lots of places. I'm attending a wedding this weekend, though, in London. So, uh, will there be a trough in the bathroom? <laughs> Quite possibly, yeah. Well, what, what is? Can you tell us what type of venue it'll be at? It's just going to be at a town hall, so it is beautiful. It probably will be. It's in Chelsea, so I'm yeah. sure the Chelsea oh, town hall okay. is is nice. So I'm sure actually it will probably be really nice. But yeah, it's just the like civil ceremony and then a lunch and a trip to the pub afterwards. So I'm actually, to me, that sounds like the a kind of perfect. As when you say yeah. lunch, does it mean like as you leave the the <laughs> marriage show, yeah. they hand you like a bag, like a brown paper bag? Just <laughs> oh, excuse me. I said no, no mayo on my turkey sandwich. <laughs> no, they're going. So there's the people attending the civil ceremony are then invited to a lunch somewhere. And then post-lunch, everyone's heading to the pub and more people are invited to the pub. So it kind of goes from like 30 people to sort of 70 or 80 people at the pub. So now will this be like a private event at the pub? Is it like, have they reserved the entire pub? Is it I don't think they have the, the entire pub from what I understand, but they have a section of the pub, maybe a room within the pub and it is open bar. So it checks a lot of boxes for nice. Me. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to regret inviting me. You will definitely make back whatever money you give them for the wedding. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I write that check afterwards. I calculate just how many drinks I had. Okay. Six pounds of pint. But yeah. So which, uh, which sporting event from the, from the weekend should we, should we start with? We've got your ability to somehow gloat over Victor Hovland's success uh, in the t tour championship, which... You know, we'll baff it. baffle and, it. baffle and annoy me, or we could have uh, a catch up on the Premier League. Which which would you rather start with? Uh, let's start with uh, all victory smiles. 
Did you see what Victor Hovland's meal was post the championship win? No, I did not. He had Chipotle. Oh, God. And was specifically. If he likes Mexican food, then he should come to Tucson and hang out. <laughs> and he was specifically asked if the guac tastes better after a win. And he said, definitely. <laughs> I also saw they asked him, I don't know if this was actually before or after he won. Uh, has he decided what he has like a big thing he wants to spend on? Now that he has the winnings, like, is there like a, a, a item he wants to splurge on now that he just won an enormous amount? And he said, no, he just wants to go home to Norway and hang out and relax with his friends. <laughs> but this is also the thing. I get it. He won $18 million in, you know, four days work, or let's call it a week with, with the practice rounds. And that's very cool. But he'd already won $14 million this season, yeah. plus his sponsorship deal. So let's conservatively say... His income this year is already twenty million. So I get it that near on doubling that in a week has to feel amazing, and that's not he doesn't have so much money that he wouldn't notice the additional eighteen million dollars. But at the same time, he had he wasn't waiting on this payday to come in so that he could finally buy that thing on his you know the list of items he wanted. Like everything he wants in his life, he can already buy. Like this is the thing we have to pretend in that moment that what a what a life-changing weekend this has been for you victor hovland but eddie he doesn't even own a car he still does bikes every day yeah cool i don't know that's, that's true no, i mean <laughs> probably not true but even if it is that doesn't mean anything to me but he doesn't own a car he has a private driver that owns his own car <laughs> yeah but like you know that's there's nothing I'm sure he will, as would anyone, if you get a check that big, you probably do go and buy something that you can then remember like, oh, this well, then is there you go. That would have been the answer then. <laughs> no, but I doubt it's so significant. I doubt it's that answer. That question implies like now that this huge thing has happened in your life, like what's that thing you've been waiting to get, you know, as if he's going to turn around and say, I'm going to buy my parents a house. I'm going to pay off their mortgage. I'm going to buy my first house. And the answer for that would have been five years ago for him. And then <laughs> this might just be, Oh, I got $18 million. And I'd say maybe he'd buy himself a nice watch or something, but I mean, he's got a watch sponsorship deal. So I don't think he even needs to do that, but you know, something, maybe a car, but it's not like, it, it's not sort of, I feel more complete thanks to this FedEx tour win. But a nice win indeed. Yeah. Although, I mean, again, kind of anticlimactic, right? He was so far ahead going into the final round that it was going to take something spectacular, either from someone in the chasing pack or from him failing for it to become a real contest. And in a golf tournament, that's always sort of disappointing, like as impressive as it was for him to pull that far away on the opening three days, it still then ended up feeling like, okay, this is the end of the season and it's over Saturday night, basically like that's. And would he still, ha I didn't see this. Would he still have one if they adjusted it to not get the, the handicap Whatever, that he started staggered with. handicap starts that they got. Uh, I I have to admit that I didn't work that out. I would th I would assume so because I mean he finished five shots clear of Chauvelet, so probably 
And then, I mean, he finished 11 shots clear of third place. So you'd, you'd have to think that, yes. And real can... quick, Eddie, who snuck into a top five finish again? Rory McIlroy <laughs> in fourth. Only 13 shots behind the winner, but still nice little payday for him. How come no one asks Rory at the end of every tournament? Hey, Rory, what are you going to buy with this check? But yeah, I, I imagine he would have won regardless. And there's been a lot of discussion both during the tournament itself and post-tournament about how they should try and restructure the tournament, that people don't like this kind of staggered starting score. A lot of people, especially live golf fans, they all want them to switch to a match play format. But I mean, you just can't do a match play format with 30 players in four days. Like that's not possible. And this to me, whilst it's not perfect, it it's at least understandable. Like when the tournament starts, you don't have some, it's not like you're needing to recalculate the score in real time or something. And, you know, I, I can't think of a better solution to how you sort of have this tournament that is somehow represents the achievements players have had over the course of the FedEx Cup events previously. I think this, it, it does as good of a job as it's going to do. Yeah, I think it's fine. And just, you know, nothing like live podcasting. Uh, Victor Hovland would have tied with uh, Xander Schofle at 19 under had they not gotten the starting strokes. So there you go, Eddie. It would have made for a nice final finish. <laughs> yeah. You know, if he'd been, if he was that nice of a guy, he would have said to Xander, let's play a playoff hole. That's just, that goes back to our discussion previous episode. You know they what? Said, you know, split the goal. I don't got any, I don't got anything I want to splurge money on. So let's just play no. a playoff anyway. 10 million sounds just as good as 18 million to my bank account. <laughs> Quick note, Eddie, speaking of what we talked about last week with the splitting of the gold medal, apparently the American pole vaulter has gotten a lot of criticism for wanting to split the gold medal. She's gotten a lot of negative commentary on Instagram and other social media accounts, um, and she had to come out and give like a full page kind of rebuttal to everyone and, and kind of say like shut up <laughs> in a very in a very more eloquent way yeah and look i can kind of look some of the criticism i can get because i do understand the fact that you know it does seem you're trying to determine the world champion you're trying to see when in a you know a competition between elite athletes who can come out on top and i mean like for example, theoretically, like if we really wanted to take this far, is it? Are you only limited to split the gold medal between two? For example, could you get to a stage where six of you are equal, and you decide, hey guys, should we just all call this quits and just all walk home with gold? Like, at what point would, as a spectator, you know, I think we both agreed we'd probably do it, and that we don't have any issues with an athlete doing it. But there is a stage at which it would become somewhat farcical, right? Like. If all of the, the, you know, the, I don't know what, who, how many people are in the final of the pole vote, say 12, if they just all decided, let's all jump over the minimum weight and minimum height and then call it quits and just, we all walk home with gold. Is that okay? <laughs> you know, so there is, I do get some of the criticism 
but at the same time, there's been an overreaction. So, and um, she actually cited something that we really didn't discuss, and that was the the fatigue and injury level. Yeah, I didn't like that. I, and I know you're not going to like it, which no. which is why I'm bringing it up because I want potentially to hear you rant. But she said um, that pole vault is not an endurance event. And once the fatigue sets in and not only becomes more difficult, it becomes extremely dangerous. The sport has seen everything from athletes just landing funny with minor tweaks to horrific incidents. We had jumped an entire competition vaulting for almost four hours in 85 degree heat. Uh, The competition ended and we were exhausted. To walk away with health and with a gold medal while celebrating with my friend that jumped just as well was a no-brainer. We were pushing each other to the absolute limit. Okay. I mean, although no, technically you weren't because you decided to stop at a certain point. So not quite to the absolute limit. I do understand that pole vault is more dangerous than a lot of sports. So the risk is obviously higher. That being said, I don't remember the last time I heard about a pole vaulter dying at the world championships. You know, so there is, there is the danger factor should not be overstated. And of course, they'll be happy to not get injured. But then there's also that part of me that says, if you feel like you're getting close to being injured, or you feel like you are at risk of, of you're pushing yourself to the limits, then let the other person win the gold. Like that's your decision to make as an individual, not to hope that the other person, you know, kind of gives in as well. So as I said, I have no issue with them doing it. I don't like playing the danger card. Like just say, honestly, you know, this is a, we were, this is a great contest between two world-class athlete class athletes. We were inseparable and splitting the gold medal seemed like a fitting conclusion to a wonderful event. That should be your statement. But to say, you all don't understand. Like I was about to impale myself on the, on the pole and she, her spine was about to snap in half if she attempted, you know, to bend that much one more time. Like it's, it's just silly. Just own it. In that statement too, she also cited the temperature, which whilst it was warm, wasn't exactly searing heat. Like, I don't think, oh my 30 degrees Celsius. How on earth can you expect athletes to compete in what most would describe as ideal conditions? You know, like it's that, that what an armchair QB we got going here. No, but again, (laughs) I'm entirely happy with it. It's just, let's not make it out. You just, you know, escaped a war zone and were lucky to get away with your gold medal. Speaking of controversies that we discussed in the previous episode, obviously things have continued to the criticisms have continued when it comes to uh, Luis Ribiales, or however his name is supposed to be correctly pronounced in in Spanish. With uh, now, there's a possibility that he will. It's a, the Spanish prosecutors has opened a pre- preliminary investigation into whether or not the incident amounts to a uh, to sexual assault. So there is a possibility that he will face criminal charges as a result of what he did post women's world cup final. And there's increasing calls for him to resign or be fired, but seemingly he, I mean, I say you have to admire, but you, someone 
in the spotlight that much and facing that level of criticism, I don't know why you would, as we mentioned last episode, I don't really know what you're hoping to gain from sticking it out. You think you just fall on your sword and I mean, cause he, surely he's being hounded by paparazzi and followed by journalists and things. You'd think you'd just want to move on with your life almost. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I don't know. There are certain people that that's how they react to situations. They become more vocal. And I am, I am of the person where if I were in that situation, I would, just shut up and sit there and, and try and disappear as much as possible. Because his mother today locked herself in a church and is, has gone on a hunger strike in protest to how he is being treated. So yeah. you, you would see very real evidence. It's very selfish. She locked herself in a church that no one can get into now. <laughs> what if someone else has a real issue they want to pray for? <laughs> but, but, you know, it means if you were him, you'd see real, very real evidence of how this was impacting your family, which again would be the thing where you'd say, you know what, let's just, let's work out whatever my severance package has to be as quickly and, as possible and I'll go. And also, like, you're the president of a, of a, of a sports, of a national sports organization. You're not like, like let's not pretend this is some really, really important job that is affecting like life or, or, or like the planet, you know, like you are, you are a glorified like sports general manager for a country. Let's relax a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you'd say, right. It's a, it's this national sport to the country, you know, millions of people playing it. So, you know, they're obviously what, what the, Football Association does stretches all right throughout grassroots stuff, right? So it's somewhat... Okay, maybe. It's kind but, of important. But enough to have hunger strikes dedicated to it now? <laughs> it's his mother. I mean, it's no one else. It's just his mother. Well, for now. <laughs> I know. I think, I think we can limit that one to just his mother. But let's see how long she goes for. Because when you say hunger strike, in my mind, you are committing to at least three days of no eating. Like three, like three weeks. Well, no, but until I would legitimately say you. So are you, here's a question. Are you allowed to eat anything during a hunger strike? I mean, I think officially, no, I think you drink water maybe, and maybe get some water that has, you know, some nutrients. Oh, so now she's just drinking Gatorade. So she's just gone to a liquid diet. She's on a liquid diet protest. (laughs) Maybe just water. Cause that gives you what? Three weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty. But is there is there a point where it's acceptable during a hunger strike to have a slight meal to sustain yourself? (laughs) I would love to see the arguments against this. (laughs) Like, I am on a hunger strike, but I just had three saltine crackers just to get the nutrients to survive. I was hungry. Isn't that the point of a hunger strike? (laughs) I was angry. I just needed to be able to get through the day. Come on, guys. But. I mean, yeah, and I, obviously I normally associate hunger strikes with prisoners and, you know, people who are in real positions of peril. And so then it usually results in you being force-fed and stuff at a certain moment in time. So I doubt someone's going to storm into the church and force-feed his mother, but you never know. But, yeah, I think like, I, I think saying you're going on a hunger strike, it's... 
I'd almost say I've been on declaring you're starting the hunger strike in her situation. It's a strong move because as I said, if you give up anywhere within the first three days, that's just like an extended fast. Like that doesn't really, it doesn't impress me too much. (laughs) She's just going on an intermittent fasting protocol at that point. I mean, day one, depending on what time of day you start, you know, it's like, well, I went, I started my fast at five in the afternoon, having just I just ate a gigantic meal. So it's like, well, look, my fast has gone for 24 hours now, my hunger strike. It's like, well, that's not particularly impressive. Let's have a huge early dinner and that could last you at least till the next lunch. Yeah. And and then if you're willing to, especially if you are drinking water, if you're then drinking a lot of water, making yourself kind of feel full with all the water you're taking in. I mean, until she- What about like coffee? Is she allowed coffee? No. (laughs) But she just loves to have a morning coffee, Eddie. Just let her have the morning coffee, just four scoops of sugar and a half a cup of milk in it. That's it. Nothing else. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how far, we'll see how long she lasts. I mean, this is the. Do you have eyes on this? I don't yeah. trust it unless we've well, there, got full eyes on it. There's media gathered at the church. So I'm sure someone is tracking whether or not. She yeah, did. but there's like those communion things at the church. There's wine at the church. She could, she could sustain for months in there. Without anyone knowing. She's locked herself in. Or like the David Blaine thing when he like put himself in that glass box. And then people thought he had nutrients on the inside of the glass that he was licking off of the yeah the glass and all the theories about how he managed to do it. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see how long she... I mean, the ultimate thing is he's probably... Because he's definitely going to be fired and or resigned, right? So... Is she going to keep this going until he's he's reinstated or until his job is safe? Or is this tomorrow he's fired and she calls off the hunger strike? Like, what's the commitment here? I know we've talked about this before, but I want, I, I forget, you know, what's, what's your take again on when David Blaine does like the magic to celebrities and they freak out? Do you enjoy that or not enjoy that? I don't, I love magic. I don't particularly love that because I don't like, I don't like throwing celebrities into the mix as somehow making the magic more impressive. Like he could, he didn't fall. He didn't just fool anybody. He fooled Will Smith as if that's like (laughs) makes the trick better. And it also doesn't make me more convinced that it's not, they're not in on it. Because I also think if you are a celebrity who agrees to have David Blaine come to your house to film a special, you are going to be worked up to really sell the fact that you were blown away. Like, I actually think that like his So street, you like like the street magic. Street when magic was way better. That was way better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, un- that was better. Although, you, but you do get some good ones with the celebrities. Like the iconic Harrison Ford one where he tells me to get the fuck out. <laughs> and he also kind of didn't give a shit for several of them too. So that yeah. that doesn't bother me. But yeah, I and I mean, the, it's unfortunate for David Blaine because he's just like extremely memeable. I mean, that's just his whole act is, yeah. you know, it's hard not to kind of laugh at it now. It's become kind of a joke what his persona is. But no, I, I don't. Do, I do. I do prefer, like I could watch that is you could YouTube rabbit hole me for that, Eddie. I could watch just magic tricks done to random people for a very long amount of time. I also like some of the intricate ones where there's like multiple people involved and it, and then, but, and then like 
where it's like four or five people are involved, but then it's in a public setting. So then there's also like 15 to 20 people that aren't involved and they're all just like blown away at the same time. Like some of the bigger scale ones. I think those are fun too. Well, that's a rabbit hole that you can easily go down all, all on your own. I don't think you need my help. I don't. I prefer it. <laughs> so Premier League. I guess we obviously already discussed the Chelsea match from Friday evening on the last episode. So then the big talking points, you had Liverpool coming back from a goal down against Newcastle with 10 men. Very disappointing for me as, as a, as a newly, oh. newly crowned Newcastle supporter. <laughs> the I, think I, I, I think I'm turning this. <laughs> <laughs> haven't won since you started praising how exciting their football is. They really haven't. <laughs> no, I mean, they haven't. <laughs> I know. There's no they have it. I know. Um, so yeah, coming back and maybe a, a sort of career-changing moment almost for Darwin Nunez coming off the bench, scoring two goals after such a slow start to his Liverpool career. Be interesting to see if he now gets a, a place in the starting lineup. There was that. There was. Manchester United coming back from two goals down to beat Nottingham Forest, a result you would have expected, but maybe not in the manner in which they achieved it. City mm -hmm. also winning at against Sheffield United. Again, a result that you expected, but it required a, a late goal. Closer from, than you expected. <laughs> yeah, a, late, a Holland penalty miss and a late goal from Rodri to rescue the three points. And then I guess the big, the most surprising result of the weekend. I mean, there's two maybe really surprising ones. West Ham beating... Brighton in the manner in which they did with almost no possession, but managing to score three goals. But the real big talking point was Arsenal uh -oh. draw, drawing <laughs> two all with Fulham coming back from a goal down to go two one up Fulham, then going down to 10 men and then equalizing uh, late on in the match and actually even had a pretty good chance to win it right at the death. So Arsenal can almost feel lucky to have escaped with a single point, but there are Warning signs there for Arsenal so far this season. Yeah, and I, you know, you we go back to last year, and we talked so many times that Arsenal were able to get three points out of a match that they probably should not have gotten. And this is, I, this is the uh, uh, Bill Barnwell philosophy. You know, when he always goes that when teams have great years, and then you look back on it, it was just that they were over the average in in expected wins based off of the statistics and you know maybe we're like we said and kind of we were both almost predicted maybe they're coming back down to the average now and in a match last year that they probably win this match they now are on the other side of it where they're actually getting the unlucky draw and and getting a draw and, and one point instead of the three and i mean because you yeah. look at the xg and they you know they they did dominate in the xg and but not everything's going their way this year maybe this is one of those signs that they're coming back to the norm a little <laughs> Although I will always say, for the XG watchers out there, we're obviously a podcast that is a fan of expected goals, but always have to do that when a team gets a penalty, which gives them an automatic XG of 0.75. Yeah. You do have to kind of go a little bit deeper because you'll see one team like, oh, they had 2.75 XG and they scored two goals and the other team had 1.8 and scored two goals. Wow, that feels like... Uh, you know, the other team was really quite lucky. And yes, technically, but the penalty is such a sort of golden opportunity from an expected goal standpoint that it really skews the XG results when you have relatively 
lower sort of lower numbers, yeah. so, you know, but uh, no, I, I mean, in addition to you're right, I think last season they would have won that match. Either Fulham would not have scored the equalizer or even in the then ensuing sort of 10 minutes, Arsenal would have found a way to win the match. But in addition to that, it's just they don't look good. And that would that's what concerns me, you know, or doesn't based on the fact that I have to live with my prediction that I, you know, don't think that they'll finish in the in the top four. Anything else from the Premier League weekend that you want to touch on? I mean, it, I, I for me, I think it's still very early, but I might have to step back on my assessment of West Ham, who right now, I mean, did beat a talented Brighton squad, and, and I did not think that they would have won that match. And I do not think they were a top 10 team. And I mean, right now they're slotted in second, but it's only three matches in. But um, that might be one I might have to start backtracking. And I think the question I had for you is how long, how much more success do Spurs need to have before you think that they might still be a legitimate, let's say, top three to four without Harry Kane. You mean until they convinced me that they could be one? Because I don't think... um, Because obviously you said when we did our preview without Harry Kane, you don't put them in that upper echelon. No, I don't don't give them a realistic chance of finishing in the top four. Um, It would have to be like January, February. And then I would start to take them seriously. But I'm not going to get, you know, them beating Bournemouth. Yeah, nice result. But, you know everyone else competing for the top four is also going to beat Bournemouth. So, but, did, do, but do have a quality win, you could say, against United the, the week before. Yeah, no, and they're more entertaining to watch. There's there's no doubt about that fact. And, you know, they're... But they've not been... You know, the United one, I kind of throw out because it just felt like United were so bad that I don't think you could give Spurs all of that much credit. So then, you know, realistically, you're just thinking... You know, when will they really be tested? I mean, they it's the there's the North London Derby on the 24th of September. Then they play Liverpool the following week. So you'd say end of September. I guess if end of September, they've still got, you know, their next two Premier League matches are Burnley and Sheffield United. So there's every chance they win both of those. And then, yeah, if you tell them, if I'll say if end of September, if they are, let's say they've won three of their next four league matches, then I'd feel like that was a real statement, particularly if that win is the North London Derby away at the Emirates, then you'd have to kind of take them a little bit more seriously. But as we said in the season preview, and like you, you just can't overreact to, there's so much temptation having not had football for a couple of months to then start to see teams and go like, they're really good and they're all, oh, they're really bad. And the reality is, uh, two months from now, everything could have started to look like we expected it to. The only conclusions I jumped to this far, you know, three matches into the season is that City are going to be really, really good. <laughs> and that Kevin De Bruyne being injured isn't going to derail their season. That Everton are really bad. And if they somehow... And Luton are really bad. But... You know, I, I think Everton, 
to you know have started this season the way they finished the last one to have yet yet to have even scored a goal in three matches you you start to to really worry for them and then i mean they've got sheffield united next if they don't get a point at least from that match against sheffield united i'm almost i'd almost say they're down as stupid as that is to say after four matches but i just can't i can't see how they radically improve so if they're not beating if they're not at least drawing with one of their relegation rivals then it's difficult to see because then the following week they have arsenal i think we can expect them to lose that one so if you've lost this one against Sheffield United, they're going to have you're going to lose the opening five matches of the season, and that starts to become difficult to recover from. So there's my non-overreaction overreaction. Now, the NFL only what ten days away, basically at this point, from getting oh, underway. Yeah. Our next episode, we will do our full NFL preview. Uh, we'll go into our, you know, predictions for each division, for each conference, for each team, and and try and see how accurately we can predict the outcome for the 2023-24 season, which usually we do fairly well with. Now, before we get to that, so I guess this is always the good time to plug, you know, if you want to make sure you don't miss that content, follow the Big Chill Podcast on X or on Instagram, but... This is a moment for maybe you to celebrate your Trey Lance take, which obviously the trade went through. <laughs> Before we do that, maybe I can humble you slightly. So you like to usually quiz me, but I have a little NFL quiz to get you in the mood for the upcoming season. Are you ready? It is... Uh, it's quite a few questions, but I, I won't give them all to you. I'll pick out the ones that I think are most likely to interest you. And as usual, I guess, we'll leave a little break for the listeners so they can play along at home. So in 2019, Lamar Jackson became the second player in history to be named as the unanimous MVP of the regular season. But who was the first? Is it Peyton Manning? It is not. It was Tom Brady in 2010. I was going to go for one of them. I knew it would be one of them. (laughs) And then we go. Jamarcus Russell went first overall in the 2007 draft. But who was selected with the second pick? 2007. Yeah. I know this, actually, because I remember always talking about this. So one of the biggest, not this is a huge, one of the biggest busts in, in NFL draft history was followed by a, you know, guaranteed Hall of Famer. Uh, I cannot think of it. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll, position. As a clue, I'll say, when I say guaranteed Hall of Famer, he is already in the Hall of Fame. So if that helps you, drafted in 2007, already in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, you know... Career was not super long, but it was incredibly impressive. What position? Wide receiver. I feel like if you can't get it now. Calvin Johnson. Correct. The, I knew the position was going to be... Uh, the Houston Texans will be one of the teams that we include in our season preview. 
but in which year did they join the National Football League? Ooh. Oh, boy. Yikes. 2000. And... I like this technique. Six. Just 2002. Close. Oh, it was that long. Yeah, it's been a while. 21 years. They did not make the playoffs in their first year. They went 4-12. and 12. I remember I had a Houston Texans hat because I loved Arian Foster. And then he told me the NFL was scripted. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe him? All right. What... Which quarterback holds the record for the most career interceptions thrown? Career? Career, yeah. Brett Favre. Correct, with 336. The next yeah, closest is George Blanda with 277. So he is... He's a gunslinger, man. He's way out in front. He's a gunslinger. Who finished their career with more interceptions, Deion Sanders or Ed Reed? I'll go Ed Reed. Correct. Deion Sanders finished with 53. Ed Reed finished with 64. Yeah, I feel like as a safety, you got a better chance because I'm sure people just ignored Deion Sanders like they did. Like it's like, you know, kind of like when Darrell Revis was on Revis Island, just no one would throw him. So he'd only yeah. get like two interceptions a year sometimes. Yeah, always one of those things to consider if you do have individual players, individual defensive players in your fantasy football league. Is like most of the time, a lot of the superstars are not the best yeah. at, in the corner position, are not actually the best ones to have because they do see less well, action. a really good second corner. Yeah. No, no one, you don't get fantasy points for just being a complete lockdown corner who no one throws the ball in the direction yeah. of like zero targets. Okay, we give you some points. Um, Tennessee Titans, another team that we will obviously spend some time speaking about, probably a little bit more time on the Titans than on the Texans. Uh, they pulled off the Music City Miracle in 2000. But who are they playing against? Oh, shit. I remember it, too. Uh, I'm trying to think if I can like remember what the jerseys were. I'll give you a slight clue. A team maybe associated with having bad luck, especially in playoff games. AFC team. AFC team. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking that. Bills? Correct. The Buffalo Bills. 2000. Who's <laughs> our Bills quarterback in 2000? Well, that's a good question. That one I cannot tell you without, without Googling. And let's finish off with Doug which Flutie. team? Okay, Doug Flutie. Which team did Jerry Rice play his last career game for? Is that your question? <laughs> Maybe. I wouldn't tell you, would I? Oh, no, no. He did go somewhere. Oh, fuck. Where did he go? Seahawks? He played his last game with the Seattle Seahawks in 2004. He did sign with the Denver Broncos in 2005, but never played a game for them. So final career game, Seattle Seahawks. I remember that. 
because he looked so gross in a Seahawks jersey. Just did not fit him. <laughs> and who, which player was selected earlier in the 2013 draft? Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey? I, I, I'm going to just go with you're asking this because it's not what you expect. But then I'm thinking maybe you, the, you did that last time. So I'm going to say Kelsey. <laughs> Zach Ertz. Who was, oh, selected, <laughs> who was selected 35th overall by the Eagles. Travis Kelsey was selected 63rd overall by the Kansas City Chiefs. And then final question. Both good. What year did the first Madden game come out? It was wow. called John Madden Football for the first iteration. Ninety six. Oh, way off. Nineteen eighty eight. Really? Yeah. Only available on MS DOS. Wow. Yeah. I don't know my John Madden football video game history. There's going to be a lot of our listeners who are far too young to have even ever encountered MS DOS. That's uh, (laughs) even at our age, it's a term that's. John Madden was a floppy disk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Trey Lance, you go away, go and have your fun. Then you've, you made fun of me for talking about how good he looked in (laughs) training camp a year ago. Here's your chance to rip into me. Ah, I, uh, you know what? I don't want to do it yet because who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Prescott goes down, Trey Lance comes in, steps in nicely for the Cowboys. They got a pretty good team. So, you know, that's for him, I think that's a good potential spot. I mean, Dak does get hurt a decent amount. Uh, I, I, I just – I always thought it was a lot to give up for someone who had such little experience in college. And – yeah, I, it just it it blows my mind that they move on this quick. I, I I just think obviously there must be other things going on because I just think I don't know why Shanahan would move on from someone that they so highly coveted with a quarterback that yes had a great what half a year when he was in there being, being Brock Purdy, but it's coming off a major injury and you never know like okay preseason whatever. Training camp looks great, but you don't know. He takes one bad hit again, and he could be done again. And to have a guy who you really thought was the next great quarterback and just ship him out that quickly, it, there must be a lot of – a lot must have happened in these past two years. Well, for starters, I think they do really like Sam Darnold. So <sighs> I think – Don't even start. <laughs> no, I do think – I mean, Shanahan came out and said – and. I'm not making this quote up, and I don't know if you saw it, that Sam Darnold is probably the most talented thrower of a football to have ever played for the San Francisco 49ers. That's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard. He said, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say he's the best quarterback, but in terms of the physical ability. Steve Young could throw a ball like 80 yards. Sam Darnold, 81. Yeah, okay. But look, I mean, obviously he's in a better position to judge than us. I mean, although I don't know how he judges necessarily the historical arm talent of, you know, Steve Young or, but the, I think they like, I think they're happy with having Sam Darnold as a backup. I think they think 
that Sam Darnold could be start for them and they still can win a Super Bowl. Like, I think they've made that assessment. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure probably they feel as if Trey Lance maybe isn't as good as the, of a player as they hoped that he would be, clearly, because I think otherwise you don't give up on him. But also, I think maybe if I was trying to put the most sort of optimistic 49ers hat on, maybe they also just think they almost owe it to a young player that you take with a high draft pick to say, you got really no chance of playing here. And so for your career, you need to go somewhere else. Because this will be, you will just be a backup for two more years. And then you'll go as a free agent, having played basically, you know, he has one year of college football because, you know, of, he lost the whole year to COVID. So he's he's got a handful of college football games on his resume. He would have, you know, whatever it was, five starts for the Niners before his injury. And then that would be it. And so you're not going to get a good, he's going to be a backup signing as a free agent anyway, if nothing changed between now and then. So maybe you're just thinking to yourself, let's just do this guy kind of a solid, like he deserves to go somewhere else and try and be somewhat relevant and at least playing for the, even if Dak doesn't go get injured or if, even if Dak stays out, he'll still get a little bit more game time, right? Cause he'll get a garbage week 18 game that he just wouldn't get right now for the 49ers. Cause that will go to Sam Darnold. So do the do the 49ers send you the Kool-Aid for free or do you actually have to pay <laughs> oh, to I drink make it the myself. Kool-Aid? Oh, okay. But I also want to dispel one thing in the narrative that is about the Trey Lance, the nine, 49ers. Can we stop saying that the 49ers traded three first round draft picks for Trey Lance? Because they in exchange they got one first round draft. So basically they threw in two additional first round draft picks. Yeah. in exchange for the one that they got back. Everyone makes it seem as if, when you say it that way, it seems like, oh, they traded up and gave, traded away sort of three additional picks, as if they traded away four first-round draft picks. It's still a huge hole. It's seemingly backfired massively because in exchange for it, they've received one fourth-round pick from the Cowboys. So his, he's lost a tremendous amount of value in a couple of years. But, you know... At the same time, they were such winners out of the Brock Purdy pick that you have to be you have to accept that you take a loss on the Trey Lance pick. Yeah. And then I guess on the other side, obviously I'm sure most people have seen this, but the Dolphins now, they've from that, they've gotten Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Bradley Chubb, and Channing Tindall as what they've gotten in exchange. I think the that. Niners won that trade. <laughs> I mean, maybe with my 49ers hat on, but I think they won that trade. Yeah. But, and look, you're right. There's now a lot of pressure. If I were Brock Purdy, I would not have wanted this trade to happen because there's going to be, there's already going to be a ton of doubters. You know, the slightly undersized white quarterback. Uh, you know, has not performed particularly well in recent NFL seasons, even when they do get off to hot starts. And so I am still skeptical when it comes to Brock Purdy. And then when you throw in coming back from a serious injury, there's, you know, even more to be slightly worried about. 
And this, I think, increases the pressure because you know if they go out and lose one of the early games, not only is the talk going to be, oh, Brock Purdy maybe shouldn't be the starter. This is why he was taken with the last overall pick in the draft. But it's also going to be, don't you think the 49ers would like Trey Lance back right now? So I think if you're Brock Purdy, I would have rather had him still in the building with the, okay, that added pressure of him fighting for the job. I would have rather had that than knowing there's going to be a lot of criticism for the 49ers and you if things start to go go sour. But I mean, I'm fully prepared to watch Sam Darnold win a Super Bowl. See, Frank's trying to say something incredibly clever, but he's so clever he forgot to unmute, his, unmute himself, so none of that was heard. I'm going to dispel some of this Sam Darnold great arm crap because in four years as a starter, well, I'm going to scratch 2022 because he only played six games. In four years as a starter, only one year has he not averaged an interception a game. And in that, he averaged 0.98 a game. Number two, he has only once ever gotten over 60% completion. One year where he was at 61.9. Step three, his best QBR rating ever is 45.9 for a season. You cannot okay. give me these statistics and tell me he's the best throwing quarterback in Niners history. Let me, let I me don't ask- care if his team was made up of middle schoolers. I don't fucking care. Let you me cannot ask you. tell me he's got the best arm in 49ers history. It's okay. I've got all the talking points here, Sam, uh, Frank. Oh, God. Uh, how, how many offensive coordinators has he had so far in his career? Who, who's the best wide receiver he's thrown to? Steve Smith, Hall of Famer. Uh, at what stage in his career? <laughs> I actually don't think he ever threw to Steve Smith. <laughs> no, I think Steve Smith retired years before he even got to Carolina. But I mean, who's the best wide receiver he's thrown to? You know, he had his offensive coordinators were changing about every 12 weeks. I don't think he's really played under any, you know, encouraging head coaches. He, he goes into the Shanahan system. It's he just needs to be a game manager there. Like that's all he needs to do. Game manager. Don't make mistakes. Hit the open guy. Enjoy yourself. And enjoy yourself. I'm, I'm, I am. I cannot wait for. I. I actually genuinely like Brock Purdy. I. I don't wish any ill on Brock Purdy, but I would love to see Sam Arnold get his chance to fucking shit the bed. <laughs> I. I honestly, I'm. I got no issues. This is the redemption story that you know the 49ers needed this is you know i'm got we got the one of the bigger draft busts from from recent seasons and the guy who was selected last in his draft class so that seems like the perfect combination of quarterbacks to win the super bowl what more could you ask for sam Darnold had one good game in his career and that was the Rose Bowl against the Penn State. All right. Anyway, we'll move on from the Sam Darnold talk. I will say I was watching the Travis Kelsey uh, Higher Grounds or the Kelsey Brothers podcast. And they, which I give them credit for, as two professional athletes, that is a good quality podcast. I mean, not that they need us praising them, but most of the professional athlete podcasts are kind of painful listens. And they actually do deliver genuinely interesting conversations. 
and are willing to say things that are at times sort of somewhat controversial, which is also unusual for active professional athletes. Didn't we discuss the T Swift (laughs) incident? Yes, (laughs) but we were, I know we've, we've mentioned their podcast a few times over the last year or so, but they were speaking about the gambling suspensions. Travis Kelsey said, start of every season, they sit us down and tell us no betting in the team facility, no betting on road trips. No. So he was like, it's abundantly clear to every player, Mm -hmm. the rules you can't break. So I'm not arguing that part. I'm arguing like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, a smart rule. Well, Frank, I, I just think the rule itself is kind of dumb. Start, start your hunger strike. How about that? <laughs> go, go on a hunger strike saying that NFL players should be allowed to bet in their hotel rooms on road trips and see how much support you get. Do protein shakes count? Am I allowed those in a hunger strike? No, you're not allowed those. Water only. <laughs> just water. Flavored. Can it be flavored water? What about like, like, uh, like seltzer? What's what's the ruling on seltzer and a hunger just, strike? Um, Carbonated water is that too much? So, oh, I think if you want to drink Perrier, you're okay. You could have. Okay, what Perrier. about Diet Coke? Calorie free? No, <laughs> it's no calories. I mean, Coke Zero that definitely should be allowed in a hunger strike. Zeros in the name. No, not allowed. But uh, speaking of, I mean, the U.S. Open is is underway. No major shocks to speak of so far. But uh, I don't know if you saw Andy Roddick's rant on the Tennis Channel after he was asked about a uh, sort of U.S. Uh, amateur tennis players were polled as to whether or not they thought they could win a game against a top-ranked like current player did you see any of this rant no no break it down for me again so um amateur tennis players in the u.s u.s were asked whether or not they thought they could win a single game or at least a single game so against when you say a, like amateur do you mean people who are like competing professionally but are not at a professional no. level or you mean like amateurs no, no. and like you and i are just playing one day I mean, so no, obviously if you're competing in a professional level, you're then, but you know what I mean? Like you're at amateur status, but you're in, no, you're in that doesn't exist. In, no, no. This means is in you'd, you'd be an officially licensed tennis player. So you are an active tennis player, presumably okay. but you're just okay. playing at your local club. Got it. It's, it's not, you are a full on, you know, you're just playing twice a week at your local club or whatever. Got it. So they were asked whether they could win a single game against a a professional player. It wasn't really narrowed down as to how good that pro had to be, which I think is a slight mistake because obviously people's opinions on like, do they win a game against Andy, uh, Novak Djokovic is different from whether or not they win a game against the 85th ranked Taylor Townsend. Sure. Now, you know how I, the confidence I have. I know. <laughs> we, we all know. <laughs> the responses from this poll are somewhat shocking. A lot of so, eddies. Uh, more Eddie's than Eddie. There are so uh, in the age range of eighteen to twenty-four, eighty-two percent said that they could win a game against a professional player. How how many games are they given? What do you mean? Is it just I like, think, a, like uh, in a, a full match. match? Best of three okay. sets. Yeah. 
So you have at least 12 games. Yeah. So you're, you're aiming to win one of 12. One of six that you're serving, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, this is the thing is it, is, it is a ridiculous statement, but I guess there will be some amateurs out there who just feel very confident in their serve. There's got to be like a 6'7 dude who just has who a thinks, monster serve. Yeah, <laughs> who has nothing really else but thinks to himself, if I just go first serve every time, I'm pro, and I don't really care of the outcome of the match, I'm probably going to be able to sneak a game. Now, it gets crazier. Of the over 55s that were polled, 47% of them thought that they could win a game. Now, here's where, <laughs> here's where even if you did have a big serve, usually by over 55, that serves dropped off pretty considerably. And it's hard to imagine. Andy Roddick found this to be laughable to the extreme. He said that he's 40 now and he's, he couldn't win a game against Novak Djokovic now if they played and said that he'd actually be pretty pleased winning once he'd won a point. I think he was being a little extreme there, yeah. especially as someone who had a big serve. It really like, shows you how poorly he thinks of himself. <laughs> he said that if he'd had the confidence of the people that were being polled here, he would have won Wimbledon 17 times. That was... <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> that was... That, that bit I did like. But yeah, he... Uh, he I feel uh, like this is all the fault of Pickleball. Thanks, Pickleball. <laughs> You've given people so much fucking confidence in tennis. <laughs> but yeah, there was, he felt like most would not win a single point. Um, and, you know, that was where the discussion should start. Could you win a point in a set against a professional player? Which, again, I get where he's coming from. I do think you're going to have a lot of people with halfway decent serves who are going to say like, well, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to have a couple of good serves over the course of a set. Like yeah. that's no, even Novak Djokovic, as great of a returner as he is, I'm, I'm going to get a point every now and then just from from going for it. But yeah, I don't, it was, it was a funny, I do encourage people to go and seek it out. We've shared it on Twitter, so it's a good chance it's to follow good. us and, and see the see the comment. But yeah, it was, uh, he, he was outraged by it. He said it was the dumbest thing they'd ever discussed on television. <laughs> Oh, I like that. That's good. Oh, man. That's funny. So, what else do we have? Not much. I have to say I'm genuinely getting excited for NFL. I did watch a few preseason games, you know, like a quarter here, a quarter there. Um, just watch some of the – actually watch some of the college football I watched uh, my my protege Caleb Williams have a dominant performance in his opening game for USC. Okay, protege strong, but okay. <laughs> I, I, I almost as outrageous as thinking you're winning a game against a professional tennis player, but yeah, no, um, no, it will be fun to have back. As I said, September is going to be such a uh, prime time for sport which i guess we also have to mention rugby world cup coming up england had a, a rather embarrassing defeat to, to fiji at the weekend things are not looking good for england heading into the rugby world cup it's hard to be overly optimistic about their chances but who knows maybe things will come right mid-tournament as they so often do for, for professional sports teams 
but yeah, pretty pretty quiet. I, I finished Perry Mason. Uh, good TV show. A little slow. If people are don't like to watch, you know, something that's not super fast paced. I don't think Perry Mason's for you. It's set in the nineteen. 19- 20s and 30s and it has the pace of a show in the 1920s and 30s uh but it was the second season is so much uh like higher caliber with like set design and the actors they definitely invested more money so season two definitely picked up um i watched ahsoka the first two episodes of ahsoka this highly sought after star wars uh show coming off of the animated series rebels that has people all the Star Wars nerds going crazy. It was okay at best. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. Actually, I would argue Eddie might be the bigger Star Wars fan than I am. <laughs> I, there's probably a good chance when we were younger that I might have been the bigger Star Wars you fan. You for sure I, was. I mean, I didn't even, I probably never watched the originals. Well, I, that's false. I did watch the original Star Wars when I was younger because um, we had them on Laserdisc. But yeah, it's it, it's it's hard for me to say. Like at the time, I felt like I was a reasonable Star Wars fan. Like I liked the movies. I wasn't rewatching them constantly. Did I you have a Star fake light, lightsaber? No, I did have like toys, Star Wars toys, like action okay. figures and stuff that I would that I would play with. That uh, my now my nephew is now in the process of completely destroying, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> you know, I took treated those things like they were precious and now i get to watch him just smack him against a wall so that's great um were you a big jar jar binks fan no i mean also we were kind of too old like that was yeah by the time those movies started coming out i was i was out of the action figure phase so you know and i didn't enjoy the 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 new trilogy so that didn't kind of that didn't reignite any passion for star wars for me it would have been at the age where I could have maybe recommitted, I suppose. That's sort of what we were like 10, 11, around that age range, 12. But, you know, instead it was uh, it was when I was firmly out on the Star Wars experience. Yeah. I I want to push you because season – oh, I guess we're going to have a while now for season two because of all the strikes. But we I would enjoy covering Andor season two. I would like for you to watch Andor no. season one. It no. is not at all a Star Wars show. I don't care. You're batting like a hundred on recommending TV shows that I have to watch for the podcast. I sometimes don't know. <laughs> listen, listen, it... listen. It's not as if I thought the Mighty Ducks was going to be a good TV show. <laughs> I don't know how much, how often you do it almost intentionally, knowing I will hate it, and that I also am committed enough to like keep watching it most of the time. But no, I can't. I can't. It's now at least ten years before I can consume any Star Wars related content, like movies, TV shows. That's it's got to be a while. It's oversaturated. It's a real shame because there was part of me that slightly nostalgic feeling when all the Star Wars stuff did start to come back, and at that moment in time, it was so infrequent that it felt like a big deal. Like even if you weren't a Star Wars fan, it felt like you had to go and watch the movies. And then now there's a new Star Wars TV show or movie out every four months. Yeah. So for the record, I did not force you to watch Obi Wan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but still, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not good. I can't I can't do it to my to myself again. But yeah, I, and I'm I'm fully out on TV shows. It's 
It's tough. Actually, I am too. And and now that you mentioned the Americans, and I've just finished Perry Mason, I think I might continue my uh, Matthew Reese Reese Reese. Yeah, Reese Matthew Reese train and and hop on the Americans. I've never watched it. I've oh, watched okay. like yeah, I've never watched it. Starting from the beginning, yeah, it's a good TV show. It's a good solid six seasons that will keep you occupied for a while. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with suits. <laughs> Christ. I just want to see how they kill off Meghan Merkel. <laughs> What's the name of the lead actor in suits? Um, uh, Gabrielle. Like the kind of German, half German, half Spanish or whatever he is. But yeah, that guy. You're looking at me stunned, but yeah, he's not yeah. American. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know he was German, though. I think his last name is German. I think. Gabriel mocked, mock, mocked. I saw he was invited to like the Oxford Union to speak. You know, which normally is supposed to be this prestigious honor that is bestowed upon people who are able to have an interesting discussion that should inspire future generations of great thinkers. I don't know why the actor that starred in Suits gets thrown into that category. <laughs> and look, I don't want to single him out. There's a lot of other stupid people who get invited, and I'm not calling him stupid, but you know what I mean. Like people who probably are not deserving of that honor who get invited. Uh, you know, like former athletes and stuff who who really have nothing valuable to add. But it did stun me that I saw a video of his where he was, because obviously there's a fair amount of coverage that is being dedicated to Suits because of how popular it's become on Netflix. Insane. And at the same time, I'll say this. I think part of it, right, Netflix can kind of skew the system because it can obviously just put suits on the homepage all the time for everyone. So it does significantly increase the likelihood of you watching it. And also, we are at a down period in TV for almost everyone. And so yeah. the, t the temptation to be like, I'll rewatch suits or I will, I've never watched suits. Let me check it out because there's nothing else on. I can see. He said, though, that someone spoke to him and said they had watched Suits in its entirety 17 times. Wow. How that person also got into Oxford <laughs> like, <laughs> is mind-blowing. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, I mean, there's been several podcasts that have dedicated episodes to this, like, Suits phenomenon. And I, the one I think I relate to the most is for me, it's a TV show that I can put on in the background and be paying attention like 75% and still kind of enjoy it and not have to really worry about it. Like I'll put it on like when like I'm at the gym, like on the elliptical or like if I'm cooking, I'll put it on the background while I'm cooking, you know, where like you can go through three or four episodes and nothing's really happened, but a little bit's happened. And then every season, it's like the same thing, just happens in a different form. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Character X gets mad at character Y because of this, and then character yeah. Z comes in, and it's like the same thing every season. Don't want, don't worry. I've had my fair share of hate watch suits YouTube clips. I've done it. I'm, I don't hate watch it. Like it's no, it's I do not though. Terrible. <laughs> it's not terrible. The thing that bothers me about it, though, again, it's the whole. I don't know. It's the glorification like that these harvard lawyers are all geniuses and uh these guys just are unbeatable at everything that they do you know that bit and making corporate law look like it's an actual fascinating job to to have 
as someone who briefly was a corporate someone lawyer. sounds jealous <laughs> i tell you what it was not suits <laughs> whatever i got to experience was not suits but yeah i um no i do get the idea of the like somewhat brain dead watch it's what i miss about watching tv like network television yes like house and like those types of shows it's just to me the lawyer element is the bit that i find completely unappealing whereas yes if i was watching house or csi or the mentalist you know you know me i love the mentalist like i would give a lot to be able to bring the mentalist back onto television but it's not gonna happen you do i don't know i've never watched one episode of the mentalist oh watch the mentalist and if it weren't for you i wouldn't really think i'm not sure i would know what the mentalist even is <laughs> watch the mentalist if that if what you want is like brain dead background television the mentalist will knock it out of the park okay thing is i can't tell you where you can watch it but <laughs> i'm sure it's on some streaming service i'm sure it is All right. Well, with that, I think maybe we call it a day. All right. All right. Talk to you later. See you. See you.